Welcome to the Microgreens Podcast, brought to you by the International Microgreen Growers Association of Florida, the proud sponsor of the Microgreens channel. I'm Lisa Welsh, and it is my pleasure to be your host. I'm also the current director of the association, and I'm thrilled that you decided to join us today. We're delighted that you have chosen to tune in and to be part of this sponsored podcast. Throughout our episodes, we're going to aim to provide you with some valuable insight and information. We hope that you'll find it both enjoyable and educational. The IMGA Florida is dedicated to fostering a farm-driven cooperative that prioritizes health, wealth, education, and social change. By harnessing the full potential of our members' microgreen production, we strive to deliver innovative solutions that encompass the holistic value of this incredible industry. If you want to learn more about our association and the fantastic work that we do, please visit imgaflorida.org. There you're going to find a wealth of information and resources to enhance your understanding of microgreens. Thank you for joining us today, and we sincerely hope you relish this episode. Enjoy. Hi there. Hey. Um, hey. So, Monica, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lisa. Thank you. How are you? I think I'm doing okay. Um, I just figured we kind of just talk a little bit today. Um, in case you don't know, I'm Lisa Welsh. I am the president of the International Microgreen Growers Association of Florida. And I have met Monica Uribe while she was contacting us and she joined the association. And she was filling me in about her days and experience with being a podcaster and, and other forms of media and her expertise. And so I thought, well, if you know me and you've listened to me, you know I don't have any filter and I don't usually talk with any kind of logical sense sometimes. So I thought it'd be great if we had worked with Monica to try to get a better establishment going so you guys could have a more fulfilling podcast going forward. Kind of how we did it, didn't we, Monica? That's exactly how we did it. Very well put. Um, I was so excited to um, find an organization. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was on Facebook where I found you, but it was an international microgreens and those two words really checked on my list because I first discovered microgreens in Europe was not here in the US and it was a couple of years later that I started growing and I know how microgreens are used in other countries and I wanted to bring that that's like a big goal of mine um, in, in my purpose, in my growing purpose. Well, so, use the same way here that they are used in like England and, and Europe and most of, most of the rest of the world, they use them very differently. How would you say, if you were to tell somebody how they use them over there, how would you say they use them? Um, quite, quite simply, it's not decoration. Okay. It would be, let's say, um, a beautifully neat, fat stack of microgreens, maybe two inches high, two inches wide on the side of the plate as part of the meal and not just something that you're sprinkling on top to add to the meal. Yeah, I think that's definitely a loss between our, you know, our country and, and other countries. I think that's a definite downside of being in the United States. I think we definitely, we look for food for, sometimes I think the wrong reasons. I mean, that's why we have the obesity problem that we have, but um, I just think we could learn a lot, especially from 
from Europe because, I mean, they have a sugar tax. You know, you want to go buy a candy bar, you're going to have to pay more for a candy bar than you will an apple. And here's the reverse. A candy bar is cheaper than an apple. Right. The scary part of that. So, and, and you know, I was glad that um, not only was um, it an international association, but forward thinking with podcasts. And when you reached out about anyone who wanted to be a part of the podcast, well, that's right up my alley in my experience. And I feel that that's also um, a great way for not only the association, but other microgreen growers to speak about their product. It's such a wonderful medium. So yes, of course, I wanted to play along in your podcast creation. Well, I'm grateful that you do because I tell you, one of the hardest things about having an association, and I mean, I do have, I have a lot of goals, I think, for the association, at least I, I can see a very, very great future for it potentially. But of course, you know, that gets, you have to get enough people to buy in. So we started with, the association started in Alabama, but then I was in Florida. So I started my own version of it in Florida. And then the lady who was doing it basically handed it over to me. Um, she got sick and um, she's still part of it. I hope, I hope she gets better and hope she comes back. But um, right now I'm just kind of like trying to fumble through it and kind of make it continue to go because the potential is there and in the right hands, this could do a lot of good for a lot of people. And more so I'm not concerned with the competition between each other because I don't believe there should be competition. I don't believe there really is competition. Um, I believe that we there's enough people to feed that we'll be fine. Like just feed different people. And I find that that works for me and most people I know. So I don't worry about that part too much. I just want to change the world. And like to change the world, you need to think bigger than just yourself and bigger than just the state. So that's, that's, that's true. Because, you know, if you have big goals like changing the world, then your focus needs to be a lot broader. Yes. And not so not, not just a scarcity mindset, but more of an abundance mindset as well, because I don't have the scarcity mindset. I don't think we can ever grow enough microgreens for everybody. I think we'll be growing a lot. I feel so um, grateful because, you know, I've worked in a lot of different industries. And when I first started growing microgreens, I reached out to big names in microgreens who responded right away to my, you know, email or DM or something. And I was really surprised and I liked how helpful everybody is in sharing um, their story or how they grow or suggestions. And that's quite unique when it comes to, I feel, um, different industries. It's not so dog-eat-dog. Dog. Like here, people really want to help each other. True. And uh -huh. I think that's the whole farmer mindset. Where, I mean, typically most people can see farmers or see farmers as those who are, you know, hardworking and willing to do whatever it takes. And, and I think there's a lot of, you know, farmers mentalities in here that are you know they want to do that they're not growing microgreens to be rich they're growing microgreens to potentially change the world or to to give some kind of nutrient to people or to help those who may be sick or struggling or and just whatever the reason is it's not just money whereas a lot of other industries it's usually profit driven uh, yeah absolutely it, there is there is so much more depth to microgreens um and even just I mean, I'm a vertical farmer, so there's a lot of thought and integrity that goes into my way of farming um, vertically, gentle hydroponic, you know, not using any chemicals, not using any fertilizer, using 
food grade containers, like all of those things are thoughtfully put into the way that I grow for a superior product. And that's just it too. And most of the growers that I think are doing it now are pretty much people who are doing it for similar type of reasons, but there's always a risk because there's a low barrier to entry that just walk, anybody can walk in the door and start turning out microgreens without putting that much care and that much um, emphasis on, on certain features, which is why we have things like in place, like, you know, FDX has the produce safety rules and just different things that, that are, that are standards that maybe don't have to specifically apply to microgreen farmers because most of them might be too small, but a lot of the microgreen farmers I know will put those practices in place irregardless of their size because it's a standard and you want to be able to live up to a standard. And if you start it now, it's a better time to start it when you first start your operation than when you're halfway through it, you know? Right, right. Totally. I mean, um, I'm a yogi, so I have a whole other set of eyes coming to this industry and how I see it, uh, especially how, you know, growing with integrity and thinking of the sustainability, like using organic seeds, all of that is, is really important um, because I'm a yogi. Yeah. What is, when you say because you're a yogi, what do you mean by that? That I the thought is put into those around or the actions that I take have repercussions. So in, I try to um, tread gently or correctly. Hmm. By growing vertically, by growing gentle hydroponic, by being sustainable, by uh, using just seed, light, and water. Like all of those things, I think, are geared. I attain to having been a yogi and studied because 10 years ago, I wouldn't have thought of all those things. I would have been thinking, what's the cheapest way I can make this and get it out there and make the most money off of it? Boom. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, there's honestly nothing wrong with that. But um, today, I can tell you, when my mom was dying of pancreatic cancer and couldn't eat a thing, I so wish I had known about microgreens because one little stem would have been so amazing for her to be able to handle. True, especially with the flavor. You're talking about such a robust amount of flavor and and vitamins. And, vitamins. and, and you know, it's funny. Um, I'm I'm working on. You called me. I'm working on some marketing for my first farmers market, in person farmers market, because oh, I've only been selling online. Oh boy! And what's different about my vegetables than any of the other vegetables at the farmers market? Mine you know, will give you those goosebumps because it's alive. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way to look at it. I would look at it as <clears throat> I never really considered competing with the vendors at my farmer's market because none of the other vendors were um, microgreen farmers. They were all full on full, you know, full grown vegetable farmers. And so I didn't really consider competing with them more or less like a companion product to them. And then I just kind of found out when I would look at my market and people would come up, up and talk to me. And the reality was, is that I had to educate probably 80% of them, which is funny because there were microgreen growers there before I started at that market. There was an, another microgreen farmer there. And then before him was another microgreen farmer. But even though there were microgreen farmers there probably for years, you still had to go educate them all. I mean, every person, I mean, you'd find like five people that knew what they were in a whole day. 
and um, and the ones that knew what they were would come get them. Most right. Them. But then, but the biggest thing for me was you had to sample them out. You had to get their visual over because if people don't know what it is, they're not going to walk up to your tent because they don't want to look dumb. Nobody wants to look dumb. <laughs> so, That's a funny way to put it. I mean, they don't want to. They don't want to look like they don't. Well, what are you doing? What is that? So you got kind of got to be more out there. Like, hey, have you ever had this? And then some of them will be honest and they'll kind of say, well, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you can kind of like you know school them in and get a big group of people and kind of inform them all at one time. Um, and then once you let them try them, usually once they try them, they buy them. It's pretty simple that way. Um, especially because they're good, they're fresh. You know, the hardest part in Florida is keeping them cold and keeping everything from getting wilty or looking, you know, like droopy. So I keep all my stuff in a cooler the whole time that I'm there. Some people buy those refrigerators that you can use, but I heard that they don't actually work um, because you have to like freeze the fridge in order for it to be cold enough to keep your product cold. And then it basically, it the, the sun is too hot in Florida that basically it has to run all the time. And it still thaws out completely by the time you're done. I, I've i never seen those fridges. <laughs> the refrigerators. Hysterical. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Let's talk farmer's markets. Because okay. I'm a total newbie. I've, I started growing right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I started selling at the online version of the farmer's market that I'm going to be selling in person. So is it the same farmer's market that you're selling at right now? Like, do they have like an online portal and then they can buy online or they can go to the actual physical market? Is that what you have going on there? Yes, but I will now be at the physical market. I was only, only online. So will you still be online though too for the same customers? Yes. Yes. Why not? Well, I was wondering, I was wondering if there's any crossover that can come from the people who are buying from you online now, if there's any, like, if you can incentivize them to come actually to the market to see you. Like, hey, if you come on down, I got, uh, you know, if you're a current customer. Right. Well, I'm doing, actually, what I'm doing is giving a free week here. Let me back up. I'm subscription-based and grow to order. Gotcha. It's an easy formula that works for me. Also, I don't like waste, waste of time or waste of anything else. Um, So my idea is to take my one month weekly subscription, give a bonus week, but have everybody pick up at the market. Okay. So I'm not delivering. Normally I would deliver. And that way I feel like I'm taking, so I'm taking what I'm taking is more, what I'm growing is more for like demoing. Obviously I'll sell it. But my idea is to sell the subscription. Gotcha. So you want to have a nice form where they can sign up, maybe even have an electronic, like a tablet there. They can just register right in the computer and then it takes care of your billing and all that good stuff for them. Yep. Yep. I I created QR codes because that's how I like to shop too when I go to markets and stuff. So I created those. I never thought QR code. That's a good idea. I had them for the directions, but I never thought of them for subscriptions. That's a good idea. Well, you use it like with Venmo and stuff. So I just, you know, it's pretty much the same kind of concept. I have a Venmo anyway. Um, yeah. And so that's sort of like the plan to try to get people like, oh, you want peas, but I don't have peas are sold out here. Come next week. Order now. Pay for it now. Come next week and pick it up. Right. 
And that way there's like people coming to see you every week. Cause I've done farmer's markets before, not for microgreens uh-huh. and it could get lonely and very discouraging. It can. I would say that that's true. I mean, there are weeks I've been there for a few years now and there are weeks where I do thousands of dollars. And then there's weeks where I do like 20 bucks. I had one week where I actually did $20 and it was like not even that long ago. And I was like, Oh my God, what has happened? <laughs> but it really wasn't anything I did. It was just a crazy bunch of circumstances that led to like basically the norm people not being there. Yeah, right. That happens as well. So I have a tent mm-hmm. that I, it was a, it was given to me. It's a brand new white tent. I, I'm going to attempt to be able to do this by myself. <laughs> somebody will help you with setting up your tent. Do you have weights for your tent? <clears throat> Windy. Uh, oh, weights. No. What should I get as weights for the tent? What Most work? of them require like 15 pounds on each leg. Okay. So um, what do you use for weights? Well, my husband is smart. And so what he did is he took, I bought weights at first, but they, they broke apart. Um, Cause I guess I just manhandle things too much, but he basically took a piece of PVC and filled it with concrete and then put caps on the end. And then they're small and cylindrical and they fit right into the truck really easily. And they don't take a lot of space. And then they just are taller and they just wrap around the leg of the pole. So mm. that's how we did our, some people use, um, a lot of people do do that. Some people take like sand bags and fill them with concrete or rocks, but it's just so heavy to carry that to me, the concrete being in a long cylindrical thing, it distributes the weight differently. So it's not so heavy for me to carry. Like the Right. Thing. That makes it easy to, to, to lug but, around. Well, yeah. Cause like to me, the same amount of weight could be in a smaller bag. But it's, it's, I feel it more on my body. But when he put them into those things, I, I don't feel it as, I mean, I can carry all three of them or four of them without any problems. With the other weights, I couldn't carry but more, more than one. Right. Um, okay, things to think about. So I need, I, I need weights for the tent. I did order a banner. I'm, I'm very excited about Now, where are you going to hang your banner? That's a good question. Where's I'm going to hang the banner on the back of the tent. Just like everybody else. Okay. It's like everybody else. My okay. idea is to have the tent actually be more like shade so people will be willing to come talk to you. I find when I go to these farmers markets and markets fairs and stuff, mm-hmm. people have a tent and then their product is right in the front. So then everything's so that's where there's no shade. Right. You got a point there. I do mine I do mine differently. I do mine where I'm in the back. And they have tables on each side they, they walk into. And so they walk into like this V where the tables kind of guide them to me, which is I'm at the, the base of it by my banner, which is in the back of my tent. But I found that the banner thing, you might want to consider this. I put a banner in the back of my tent also, but I don't like it. I hate that banner. I take it down most times because I end up hitting against it because I'm sitting back there and people can kind of see it, but they really have to look to see it. Whereas I found that if I got a one was a two inch banner and I put it right on the top of my tent. So that, the, so if I got a 10 by 10 and maybe it has um, like two inches, like a, you know, along the, the, the roof lining, right. one banner right there. And just as microgreens and as you mentioned, like five things, but it says microgreens. And then people can see that's exactly what I know. So without question, they know what my tent is about. Right. Oh, I like that. I like that. I like that idea. Um, I was thinking of getting uh, like a lawn sign. Oh, yeah. I saw those, too. I thought about those. I just didn't do those. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'm slowly kind of putting this together, I guess. 
my table is quite different. So what do you mean by quite different? Well, it's not exactly a table. It's, it's called, it, it's, it, Coleman makes it. It's okay. called an outdoor kitchen. And it, it, yeah, it's for camping. And it basically looks like an oversized attache case that you flip open and that gives you a back, like a backsplash and a flat surface. And then it has shelves on the side that you, that are metal that you add and a shelf underneath. What? Yeah. Okay. I'm Googling right now. Literally Googling as we speak. And so, um. I love it because it's light and folds up in two seconds. So the legs fold out. Um, it's quite different looking. So if I, I find that just having like your normal four or six foot table, now you have to add stuff to the table to bring it, yeah, make it visually interesting. Yep. Whereas this is just small enough and compact enough. And I can fit four trays on it alone easily for this visual. I'm visualizing. Okay, so I see. Okay, I see here. It looks like it's got. I think this is it. Uh, what's it called? It's called the Happy Buy Happy Buy Camping Kitchen. That's probably not it. That's Amazon's version. Hang on, Camp Kitchen is what it's called. You said right. Coleman makes it. Coleman. All right, I'm on Coleman's website, or actually, I'm on Walmart's website because apparently Coleman took me there. That was nice of them. Just what I want to do, Shepherd Walmart. For this cool thing that sounds really kind of cool. I really want to see this now. I'm really excited to see it. So it basically has sides, and then you can kind of do different levels that way. That would be nice. Uh, yeah, some somewhat. Somewhat. So it, the point being that it's visually interesting to begin with, and so it doesn't – I'm not forced to make it interesting. Because if you, I feel if you just have a table and you put the trays out there, it doesn't look good. Um, I saw a marker, a microgreens uh, vendor at a farmer's market not too long ago had one pack of harvested microgreens on the table and that was it. Mm. So it was like very, very lonely. <laughs> they had a whole yeah. table and they had one thing of microgreens on there. That would be sad. I did find this Coleman. It's called the Packaway Portable Kitchen. And yeah. Uh, it's kind of cool. It definitely would change the way you could do it. And you could do a lot of fun things with it. I, I would think I can see a lot of fun things I would do with it um, for sure to try to pull people in, get people to think about what they could do with microgreens as opposed to just come and eat them, you know? Right. Right. So it's interesting. And, you know, I think the people that go to farmer's markets look for not the gimmick, but like the theme or that everything is coordinated. I don't know. There, I think there's could be big competition at farmers markets with the booth setups. Huh. I never really thought about that. I never really cared. I just kept expanding my booth until it became like, I get to me as far as my farmers market goes, they always ask me, what do I got new this week? Because Lisa has always invented or come up with something new every week. Literally, it's ridiculous. I come up with a different way to package things or a different thing to do. And, um, <clears throat> I have since stopped, luckily. Uh, wise people told me to stop, so I did. Because um, I, I was doing too much, and it was becoming too hard. Um, but I used to kind of diversify all the time. And it was so it would keep people coming back, you know. But it, then it became so much that you almost get people confused because they're not sure what you're selling. What are you selling, you know. So, you know, it's real good to keep that, you know, concise and to the point. This is what I'm selling. 
you know, and if I have side things, because I do believe in having companion products, because I feel like with microgreens, you can make money on selling them in your subscriptions for sure. But I feel like you can't turn enough of a profit to become really independent or profitable farmer with just the just the margin on microgreens themselves. I feel like you need additional revenue streams. So I have three. Yeah. I love, I love the way that you you described your, um, your booth. I'm going to do that. I'm going to angle the table and stands right next to it so that it's like inviting and drawing, um, you know, to people. So, so that's a good thing. What kind of, do you, do you create any like paper or takeaways or I do kind of. So I do have a subscription model myself. So I put together a, a, a flyer that, that could, they can take home. Basically, it's all 86 varieties of microgreens that they can pick from. Gosh, I hope they never pick all 86 varieties. That would be horrible. Um, oh, my gosh. I since changed my model. I used to do, I used to think, again, more is better, right? The more options they have, the better they are. That's wrong. That's a bad mindset. It's actually the more select you are and the more niche you can become, the better off you are. So I only focus on, I only give them an option of, I don't even give my customers an option. They can sign up for a subscription and I give them whatever I want every time I give them a subscription. And if they don't like something, they can tell me and I won't give it to them again. But otherwise, I don't let them pick anything. Um, I used to let them pick. Uh, some people let them pick like, you know, their own several varieties, but I pretty much stopped doing that just because I found it was easier for me to just give them what I'm growing currently. Right. I, right. Like I have a variety option and most people take that. So you get a different one each week. I think that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. I do too. But with me, because I try out all the new ones when they come out, like when cantaloupe first came out, I had cantaloupe. So I gave them all. So usually I used to do is I used to give them all whatever they ordered and then I would give them like whatever the extra things that, that I was trying to grow, like whether it be like, uh, whether it was like flowers or whether it was like whatever it was that I was working on, I would give that to them. And I was like, you know, that's really not, beneficial because then they're not paying for it and then they don't realize it you know what i mean and then they don't want to pay for it or they don't think about it and so i was like i'm gonna to try to get away with that so i stopped doing so much more add-ons because i was noticing i was giving my customers they'd buy like a subscription was just like four and i give them like six and i'm like dude this is not gonna work <laughs> but, uh, yeah. i yeah i like to give away a lot of times especially when i have someone under subscription yeah. um i'll say try this you know, yeah, like taste this, this might work for you and, or work better or, um, yeah, just like, I think I feel that sort of variety, but I, I typically grow just nine or 10, um, varieties. I would grow a little bit more. However, one, I had difficulty finding seeds for, I really liked the um oriental mustard it had that wasabi taste to it yeah but that that got really difficult to find and then anything that takes too much time to grow i just don't like it sitting on the shelf so you like your seven to ten day crops some farmers like their 21 day crops so you're a seven to ten day crop that's a pretty much well i do i also do wheatgrass um tendril peas and cilantro and onion which are a little bit longer too yeah well you do a lot of varieties i would honestly if you're just doing subscriptions i would stop doing more varieties because your 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 biggest customers for your onions and your cilantro are usually your chefs um and so if you don't serve a lot of them and maybe you do actually i didn't ask that question so i don't know 
But if you don't serve a lot of them, then usually the end consumers, they like it a little bit, but they don't like love it, love it. So that'd be something you could always scale back because those are a little bit more expensive seeds usually. And they take a little bit longer. I just found that it's best for most new farmers to start out with like um, about seven crops for a while. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I also try to grow what I grow well. True. Always do what you do well. So like if you are a phenomenal cilantro grower, then you better grow the heck out of that cilantro. And the good thing is the association that the point of this, what I'm was trying, what I'm what I was trying to build, I am still am building it. What I'm building is, um, so if I am, I have like 10 restaurants, right. And say I can't grow cilantro with crap. It just, it doesn't work in my environment, but you grow it great. Then there's a thing that we can work out where we can be like, okay, well you'll grow this. And, and I already have a customer in place. So I'll take care of that customer but I'll pay you for your microgreens kind of thing. Right. That's great. Great camaraderie. Yeah. Because I feel like I can't take many times. I reach out to the community and say, Hey, who's got a tray of this? Or who's got this? Or who's got that? And you know, everybody has it. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people have it and they'll offer it if they can. And it's not, you know, not really a huge thing, but I think because if we take care of the customer, I don't care who you are, if you're a grower and you take care of the customer and the customer is satisfied with what the results are, whether you had to combine with five other farmers or not, if, if they are satisfied, then they are going to continue to buy microgreens. If they buy microgreens and it's a hassle and they can't get anything they want because this farmer doesn't have it and they won't reach out to the next farmer. And so the customer's just left with nothing. Guess what? They're eventually going to stop buying microgreens because they can't get what they want. And that's how they're going to view it. They're going to view it as we're a bunch of farmers who can't ever have what they need. So why would they waste their effort into a, what most people consider a more expensive crop? They wouldn't. And that's the same thing with restaurants. You know, a lot of times people go in there and say, oh, just go in and, and ask to speak to the chef. It's only a few minutes of his time. But imagine if every single vendor for every single vegetable went in there and asked for five minutes of that chef's time. He wouldn't be able to do any, anything else. Yeah. I, I believe in causing the least amount of disruption to a kitchen. Probably because my mom was a chef and I've worked in kitchens most of my life. I try not to disrupt. I, I do grow for uh, a couple of restaurants. Um and they basically came to me, but I try not to disrupt. And I have had, I've gotten burned also by a couple of chefs who'll say, yeah, grow me this, 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 and that. And then and they run imagine. out and do it. And then they're like, yeah, well, they changed the menu or it, it was just a big exercise in wasting my time. So yeah. <clears throat> I actively myself only because my mom was a chef, like I said, my mom was a chef and uh, I just I I want to go for the nutritional side and I want to go for the everybody eats them side more so than the pretty garnish on top of a, a piece of steak or whatever. That right that that as well. Like I you know I grow to order. I give you options. I have a very good customer. She's been with me since the beginning. Like I'll say, I started growing in in May and selling in May. She came on in September. And then by November, she was ordering directly from me, not from the website from the farmer's market. Okay. And she is a broccoli lover and orders anywhere from four to seven broccoli a week, um, a weekly because mm -hmm. she puts it to in her kids' smoothies. Hmm. And you know, I feel for it. She's a snowbird, so she's not here year round. But um, it's quite incredible that she's come back every year and she still finds, you know, like we come back and we go into the same routine. 
And yeah. so she now just now she spaces out the subscriptions so they're long enough for when she's here. Well, that's a good way to do it. I mean, I mean, I think that's I think it's so important that we just kind of keep getting the nutrients that we need. And that and broccoli, I'm a huge component of broccoli. I could go to broccoli all day long. Yeah, it's a broccoli's a good one. Broccoli's a, a I think it's kind of that generic the Switzerland of microgreens. It goes with everything. True. I definitely think that it does go with everything. I think people also love the sulfurophane in it. And I think people as like broccoli makes a bigger and bigger, you know, bigger and bigger size. What is sulfurophane? Sulfurophane <laughs> is um it is basically I, if I describe it correctly, I watched a Dr. Um, Rhonda Patrick and I listened to her explain it because she's the only one I understand. The rest of them confuse the heck out of me. But she basically says that sulfurophane is so glucoraphanates are in broccoli. Glucoraphanates are like a, I don't know, I guess, a, whatever. They're in, they're a nutrient within micro, within broccoli. Uh, and when you chew, the chewing motion and the actual deterioration of the, 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 the produce is called myelinizate i believe and so when those two respond together uh, when so when you chew basically or when you cut your microgreens this chemical reaction goes over this might may be chemical this reaction happens and it causes sulfurophane to be created now sulfurophane is completely unstable that's one thing i do know and so when the sulfurophane is in your body and it's doing what it's supposed to do it basically can go in and it can repair your dna it's the one thing it's one of the few things they found that can repair dna uh, there's other plants there's trees actually that can repair your dna um, but what they do is, so if you go outside, you get subjected to, uh, rate, you know, whatever's out in the air, all this cancerous, nasty stuff for our bodies. And the only way you can ever get sick is for your body to have accepted a mutation that it gets from being out, you know, from all these elements. So when you go outside a lot, or you smoke cigarettes a lot, eventually you can get cancer, right? Well, it's more likely because you've got all this poison going into your system eventually, and eventually your body accepts it. And then it doesn't do anything. It doesn't kick it out because it can't. And then that mutation sets in and then you get whatever disease or whatever ailment it can be. And then you're sick. Then you're sick. So according to what I've read is basically that broccoli can go in and what it does is it repairs your DNA. So as you go outside every day, you take your broccoli in or whatever, and anything that's gotten in your body from the day has been repaired by the sulfurophane. So, I mean, I'm sure it's probably much more complicated than that. It's probably like the simple version and probably, you know, whatever. But it's the best way I can understand how it works is to kind of explain it that way. And then so basically, if you eat broccoli, then you repair your DNA and you can't get cancer or any other disease. Right. It's a it's a fact that we can reverse these symptoms that are making us sick. But yeah. what we eat, there is that ability to reverse things. And it's a, NR, amazing. It's an NR something. It's an NR some inhibitor is what it is. And that's what it's done for. The other funny thing, uh, the other, not funny, but the other big thing that it's in that's local to Florida is Moringa. So mm -hmm. is in Moringa, like, a lot. Um, and it's funny because they're actually, according to what I heard, they're two strains of sulfurophane. So I guess kind of like how there's, you know, 50 different types of broccoli seeds, there's two types of sulfurophane. So I'm not sure if one's better or worse than the other or if one has different ad additives than the other. But if you want to really fight your body from... I mean, do you know, I'd go for some sulfurophane, some moringa, and broccoli together. That's what I would do. Wow. So much to know. I know. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Well, I suppose I better go. I've been longer than normal. People know I only talk for a few minutes. But it's so good. <laughs> All right.
Wow, what amazing conversation. To be featured or sponsor an episode of the IMGA Microgreens channel, email mo.uribe at imgaflorida.org and we'll happily get you on. If you want any more information about or to join the IMGA Florida, please contact membership at imgaflorida.org. Enjoy the rest of your day.